Good morning, Renaissance. So today, if you haven't guessed about it already, we are talking about prayer. And whether or not you've uh, been to church a thousand times, uh, prayer is something that almost every single culture, every single religion uh, in the history of civilization has done. For centuries, uh, men and women have kneeled down and built altars and prayed. And my hunch is whether or not you consider yourself a religious person, that you've prayed at some point in your life. And prayer is everywhere. Prayer is in churches, obviously. Prayer is in airplanes, right? It let that plane start to shake a little bit, and everybody bends their head and starts praying. Prayer is even in schools. A couple years ago, people got mad that they took away the Pledge of Allegiance because it said the word God in it, and they took that out, and everybody got mad. But prayer will always be in school. As long as they're passing out tests, there's a kid that is praying. I made my way through from junior year in high school through college with that method. Lord, I need you to bless me on numbers 1 through 17. I definitely don't know 20. God, give me supernatural wisdom. I didn't study. In Jesus' name, amen. But prayer is an amazing thing, and sometimes when I talk to people who have an amazing prayer life, or when I read about people like Elijah who prayed for hours and hours and uh, prayed that there wouldn't be any rain and it stopped raining. Or when I think about other Christian leaders uh, throughout history of the church, people like John Wesley who would pray every single morning for like two hours. When I hear about people like that, it doesn't necessarily motivate me to pray. It actually makes me feel like something might be missing in my own life. Right? The only thing I do every morning for two hours is watch SportsCenter. You can't just watch it once, you have to watch the second one just to make sure that everything that happened in the first session is going to happen again, and they always replay the same thing. But have you ever wondered, uh, what do you really hope to get out of prayer? What is our motivation when we pray? Why do we pray? And today and uh, next week, we're going to be talking about uh, prayer. But my hunch is that no matter what, you think that prayer is pretty important. On a scale of 1 to 10... Uh, how important would you say that prayer is to a flourishing spiritual life? Throw some numbers at me. Scale of 1 to 10, and keep in mind that Jesus will judge you if you answer incorrectly. <laughs> 10? 11? 1,000 out of 10. Wow, that's pretty important. 6? Wow, okay. We, have a, we got a pessimist in the room. It's all good. Right, so now the second question. So most of us think that prayer is a pretty important thing. I think that most of us would agree with that. But let me ask you the second question. And I'm not going to add, don't say this out loud, but how, how satisfied are you with your prayer life? Scale of 1 to 10, how satisfied would you say you are with your own personal prayer life? Now, Philip Yancey, an author, wrote a book uh, called Prayer. And in the book, uh, he, his publisher went out and surveyed about 600 people. And out of the 678 people that they surveyed, only 23 said that they were actually satisfied with their prayer life. So for those of you in here that are not math majors, that's only about 3% of people were actually satisfied. A 3% satisfaction rating. That's like being a Knicks fan, right? It's like everybody's in, I'm a Knicks fan, don't worry about it. Shots fired, right? So I'm a Knicks fan, but nobody is happy being a Knicks fan. You're not, you're miserable. We lost like 600 games in a row and it's a pretty terrible thing. But everybody's doing it and nobody's really uh, satisfied. Can you imagine uh, going, to, going to work and your boss is only satisfied with 3% of stuff you do? You would not have a job past tomorrow. If you go to school and you get, you know, th and you're getting threes on tests, like if you're getting <laughs> single digits on tests, you're not making it to the next grade. 
But yet, with our prayer life, a lot of us do it and a lot of us talk about it, but few of us are actually satisfied. Now, what Philip Yancey's book did was expose something I feel is very important, that there is a huge gap between prayer in theory and prayer in practice. And I know what it feels like to, to question, to wonder whether or not prayer could ever be something in our lives that made sense, whether or not prayer could ever be something in your personal life that becomes fulfilling, whether or not prayer is something that is bigger than a list, uh, something on a checklist to check, but something that you can do and find joy and satisfaction out of doing it. Now, for a lot of people that I've spoken to in this room, and as the more we grow as a church, the less people that I feel like I know personally and know my story, uh, I certainly know what it feels like to be on this journey towards a healthy prayer life. See, prayer is not necessarily a destination, it's certainly a journey. And I, and I feel like I am coming to you guys as a pilgrim, somebody that is on that journey with you. A few years ago, uh, this past April 23rd, uh, made it uh, three years since my late wife passed away. And uh, she had cancer. So for the entire time that she was diagnosed with cancer, every single day we prayed. We had people on Facebook praying. We had groups. We had churches. I was stopping strangers on the street like, hey, what are you doing at two? At two? Pray. We were just stopping random strangers on the street, making people pray. Uh, we fasted. We did all these different things. For 10 months, every single day, uh, we prayed. But day after day, her condition worsened, and she passed away, and we stopped praying. Now, after she died, uh, a lot of things in my life changed, some expected and some very unexpected. The expected things, like I knew I wasn't going to work, um, you know, a lot of other things, I, I slowed down, I wasn't going out, I wasn't taking showers, which didn't bother me as much as it probably should have, actually. <laughs> but when life started to make sense again, when the clouds started to lift again, a lot of things returned. I started going out, I started uh, mingling with friends again, I, I started uh, to, to work again. But one thing didn't return, and that was my prayer life. Now, up until that point of my Christian life, I had been a, a, a in ministry, I realized, it hit me like a ton of bricks, that the vast majority of my prayer life had been for things. It had been for, for God to do this, or for God to arrange this, or for God to be my cosmic concierge to arrange my life in a way that would work out. But when suffering hit, when tough times hit, and it didn't go the way that I wanted it to go, I just figured that God was going to do whatever he was going to do regardless, so it made no sense for me to pray. So why do we pray? What is our motivation to pray? And what do we hope to get out of it? Now, I know I'm not alone in this room of, of people that, have, that know what it feels like to pray for something that you really want but don't get. And then our reaction a lot of times is like, you know what, forget it. Uh, God's going to do his thing. I'm going to do mine. And we don't pray. Prayer becomes extremely unsatisfying because the one thing we wanted, we didn't get, and it becomes a practice of futility, and it makes no sense for us to do it. Now, if that is the crux of prayer, if that's what Jesus was talking about when he taught his disciples on how to pray, it makes sense why so many of us are so unsatisfied. Now, there's nothing wrong at all with praying for things. Jesus prayed for things. Moses uh, prayed for things. Tim Tebow prays for things. Like, a lot of people pray for things, and some of the best people on earth have, have done that. So there's nothing wrong at, at all with praying for things. But there becomes a point where when prayer, uh, when the centrality, when the, when the basic theme of our prayer life becomes things, and we become extremely dissatisfied and discontent when we don't get them. Prayer has to be bigger than that. And there's a lot of uh, challenges that we all have uh, in our prayer lives. Have you ever said a prayer 
uh, whether to yourself or out loud, and just stopped and wondered if anybody was listening? Am I just talking to myself? Not only that, uh, but our current mode of communication is uh, getting faster and faster with less uh, uh, silence, with less solitude, and we, we start to expect uh, responses in an instant, right? So if I send somebody a text message, I want a response, right? The worst thing is when you text somebody or you send somebody an iMessage, and you know, after you send them an iMessage, you start to see those little three uh, dots that they, they've, they've read your message, <laughs> and you're like, yo, you just, you, you're just not gonna answer. You're just not gonna answer, and, 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 they, and they stop. Our current mode of communication is fast, Twitter, Facebook, uh, emails. We can communicate with almost anybody on a planet in a matter of seconds. And when it comes to our prayer life, when our, when our prayer lives require a pace that is slower, uh, that is more intentional, that is more deliberate, that doesn't have the immediate satisfaction, prayer becomes something that becomes more frustrating and less fulfilling. Now, not only do we have our doubts and our time pressures, uh, but a lot of times, if we were to keep it 100, we don't even feel like we need to pray. Like in developing countries where they question whether or not they're going, if they're going to eat this week, they don't, you know, debate about the philosophy of prayer or whether or not they should pray. There's no other option. They pray because they have to. But in New York, we a lot of times feel so self-sufficient that it's really, really difficult to pray because there's no pressing need, right? If you have a cold, go to the store, get some DayQuil, you'll be okay. But in some places, if you get sick, there is no CVS, there is no Dwayne Reed, and you could die from something uh, that is highly curable, and their only recourse is prayer. And a lot of us feel way too self-sufficient. Now, the last challenge that a lot of us have to our prayer lives is on the other spectrum. It's not that we feel self-sufficient, it's that we've messed up. We've made a mistake. We've done something that we know we weren't supposed to do, we said we would never do, and we did that very thing. And the last thing we're gonna do at that moment is pray. We mentioned this a couple weeks ago uh, from the story of Adam and Eve in Scripture. Uh, the earliest humans, when they messed up, the first thing that they did was hide from God. And I think it's our natural reaction that after we mess up, after we make a mistake, after we do something we know we shouldn't have done, we run away from God instead of running to God. Now, in spite of all of these challenges, I've learned that, that prayer is essential to our flourishing. And it's not something... Uh, that is necessarily like filling out a checklist or uh, an activity to be done, but something that we can do that makes sense to us, that is fulfilling, and that brings us actual life. You see, communication is the currency of every relationship, and without it, we've got nothing. And the most intimate part of any relationship is a vulnerable uh, conversation. Christmas is coming up, and for any parent in the room, if you bought your kids all of the gifts in the world, everything on their toy list, but you didn't actually spend time with them, what would we say about those, those people as parents? If they, didn't give them, uh, if they didn't give themselves to their kids, if they didn't sit in their kids' faces and look, at the, look in their eyes, if they didn't listen to their kids mumble, if they didn't uh, hold their children, if they didn't spend time with them, it wouldn't matter if they gave them everything in the world, we would say that they are bad parents. And God is a good parent. God doesn't want to just give us things. God wants to give us himself. So what is our motivation for prayer? What do we hope to get out of it when we actually do pray? Why should we pray? Now, uh, some of us in here have heard the serenity prayer. God grant me uh, the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. We've heard that prayer. You guys have heard that before. You've seen it on a wall in a Chinese restaurant or something like that, right? 
Now, I'm not knocking anybody who said this prayer. It's a good prayer. I've certainly said it before. Uh, but God is not interested in just zapping you and dropping peace down in a parachute. God wants to walk with you through your stressful situation. God is not going to just give you courage uh, like, like a pat on the back like the Wizard of Oz gave uh, the lion. Uh, he, he wants to assure you that he is with you, and that would make you courageous. The most repeated scripture in the Bible is fear not. Why? Because I am with you. Now, God doesn't want to just give you courage. God wants you to, to have courage because you know that he is with you. And in times of prayer and in times of solitude, these are the only moments that we can do this with, that we can have. This is where the relationship is built in the communication. And you and I will never flourish without an authentic and consistent uh, prayer life. Now, Jesus uh, prayed a ton. And if anybody ever uh, probably didn't need to pray, it would be Jesus, but he prayed more than any of us. There's 17 references to Jesus' prayer life in the Gospels. Uh, he modeled a life of prayer for us. He prayed often. He prayed in the morning, late at night, all through the night sometimes. He prayed before critical events in his life. He prayed as he ministered to others. He prayed before his miracles, and he prayed for others. And not only did he model a prayer life, he gave us a model for our prayer lives as well. Now, a few minutes ago, Tiffany read a scripture, and if you went to Catholic school growing up, or if you've been to church seven times at least, you've probably heard of the Lord's Prayer. You can probably recite it with your eyes closed. But in this prayer, Jesus answers the questions that we're asking today. What is our motivation in prayer? Why are we praying, and what do we hope to get out of our prayer lives? And he starts it off with a phrase that is so critical and is so monumental that it cannot be ignored. And it's these two small words that change everything, and it's these two words called our Father. Now, on the surface, since we've heard this prayer a, a lot of times, a lot of us can hear that, and it can glaze over our heads, right? Okay, our Father, great. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we can run through the prayer without pausing to stop at this ridiculously monumental language. And for others of us in this room who don't have a good relationship with our fathers, to hear this word that God is our Father is repulsive, that your father was never there when he said he was going to be there, that your father abused you physically, emotionally, and the last thing you can relate to is God as a father. Jesus uh, calls God his father not because God is like uh, our fathers on the earth that have made mistakes, but God is our ultimate father, uh, and God is the, the perfect example of what a father should be. Jesus had something absolutely uh, amazing in mind for us when he said these two words, and that changes everything in, about our prayer lives, about our approach to prayer. See, my dad growing up didn't have uh, an amazing father. Uh, he always tells a, he tells a story about when he was five or six, and he realized that there was no Santa Claus. Um, and he realized because even though his mother had been working really hard, even though he knew he had been a good boy, Christmas morning came around and there were no gifts. His dad drank it all up. Now, when you hear the words, God, uh, when you want to start off a prayer with our Father, and the Father image you have in your mind is, a, uh, is of somebody that abandoned you and let you down, it doesn't make this prayer easy. Now, my brother and I were, uh, my, I think my dad uh, resolved, he absolutely had to have gone in the other direction, because Christmas morning in, in our house for me, my brother was like being in Toys R Us. My dad was making it rain with remote control cars. <laughs> it was pretty good. But here, here's what a good dad looks like, and uh, here's what I think 
one of the things that was the most impactful things in my life in the last couple of years that have changed the way I see prayer, and I, and I, and I hope it resonates with you a little bit. So about two years ago, I started working in ministry, and uh, for anybody that has changed professions uh, later in life, you know, you're very unsure of yourself, and you, you, know, you don't have the same amount of experience that other people have, and you work a lot harder than other people do, and you, you never know whether or not you're doing things quite right. So I had been working ridiculously hard. There was this big initiative that we were doing. We were trying to give away uh, over $100,000 to some organizations, and I was at the helm of this event, of this uh, initiative, and every single day, all day, I was buried in work. And my dad had been calling me for the, about a week or two, uh, just trying to catch up with me. Every time I would see his number, I would just say, oh, I'm so busy, I'm gonna call him back later. I would hit uh, decline and put it back in my pocket and get back to work, answering emails, writing speeches, doing all this work. Finally, the day before the event, I was nervous, I was worried, I was unsure of myself. My dad calls again, and I finally pick up the phone. He says, hey, how are you doing? I start rambling on. I said, hey, I'm doing this, and I wrote these speeches for these people, and we have this many people coming, and the caterers are bringing dumplings at six, and I start running down the whole list of all the things I had done, and then as soon as I had finished, he said, so how are you doing? And that, that, that changed my perspective in that moment. So he didn't care about all the things that I was doing. He just wanted to know how his son was doing. And I think that the biggest thing that changes our prayer life is not knowing the character and the personality of the one that we're praying to. See, God is not concerned with the transaction. He doesn't care about the list of things that you have going on in your life. God is not worried about all the mistakes that you have made. God is a good father, and he simply wants to know how you're doing. He wants you to process that with him. The, the, the mistakes that we make in, in running away from God, God wants us to process that with him. And a lot of us have a very and deeply flawed protagonist, that when we go to God, we think that this is a transaction. We think that God is uh, sitting in heaven with a, with a long checklist of things that you did and didn't do, and God is like Santa Claus, and you weren't nice, or you, weren't no, or you were naughty, and I'm not going to give you this, I'm not going to give you that. We have a deeply flawed view of what God is, and Jesus came to restore our view of what God is. Jesus came to restore our view of God and to restore us to God. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 says this, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Because of Jesus, we can see that this is the father that we pray to. Not a detached God that's going to make you do a rain dance for his pleasure. Not a, not, not a God that's going to make you uh, dot every single I and cross every single T. This is love. This, this is what John is saying. This is love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us first and gave his son to us so that we might live through him. Brothers and sisters, the character of the God that we are praying to is not a God that is uh, holding things over your head. This is not a God that is requiring that you be absolutely perfect before you come to him in prayer. God wants to process your life with him. What is our motivation in our prayer lives? What do we hope to get out of it? Why do we pray? Quite frankly, uh, our, the, the thing that will change our prayer lives more than anything else is in us changing our view of the person that we're praying to. That the singular thing that's going to change your prayer life isn't necessarily how many books you read on prayer. It isn't how much time you set aside in the morning to pray. Although these are great things to do, it is in the view of the person that you are talking to. 
Now we get to pray to a good father. But not only that, Jesus, uh, as he walks through the Lord's Prayer, as he is teaching his disciples on on how to pray, uh, he stumbles, he he gives us a phrase that I think we can kind of stumble past and get through because I I don't think it sits well with a lot of us. He says a phrase called, give us this day our daily bread. Now, my wife and I went to India in May, and um, we've seen people in markets begging for daily food. And sometimes they would sit for hours and hours in the exact same position begging for food. And the image that Jesus has for us is this. Give us this day our daily bread means that you and I are completely insufficient to make it through each day on our own. And just as a beggar has no job, has no source of income, has no other recourse other than the kindness of somebody giving them food, Jesus tells us to ask God, to approach God as a beggar. That doesn't sit well with us for a lot of different reasons. Uh, I I think for myself, I know it is very difficult for me to see myself as that uh, dependent but this is a way that God sees us. Now, uh, years ago, I had something called vertigo. And if anybody's ever had vertigo, um, you know how terrible it is. It feels like the room is spinning. Uh, I was in my bed checking WebMD. I was convinced I had a brain tumor. Like, it was, it was bad. And for a couple of days, I went to doctor after doctor. And finally, uh, we went to a doctor, and I, and I got uh, results on why I kept on experiencing vertigo. And the doctor told me that I had inner ear uh, damage. But don't worry, in a couple of days, your brain, is going to, uh, your brain is going to catch up to the damage. And even though the damage will never fix itself, you'll be able to, to navigate the world, to do everything you wanted to do. Uh, but there's one small thing you can't ever do. You can never just pop up out of bed without centering yourself first before you go anywhere. So it doesn't matter if it's 3 a.m., every time I get up out of bed, I have to stop, sit on the edge of the bed, and make sure that I'm centered. Because if I get up too fast, I'll fall. Now, humanity is deeply broken. Humanity is deeply damaged. You and I are deeply damaged, and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. Whether it's cheating on our taxes or white lies or any of the thousand things that show us how, how flawed we are, right? If you don't know how flawed you are, if you're married, ask your wife. She'll tell you exactly how flawed you are. <laughs> The best-selling books on shelves are our self-help books because we know deep down inside we need help. But guess what? Where you can find the help is with God, is in prayer, is in centering yourself, stopping each morning before you hop up out of bed and just run to do your day as if uh, you got it all under control to stop and to center yourself around the fact that you need God to give you your daily bread. You need God to give you enough strength for the day. You need God to give you clarity to get through the day. And the second thing that will change our prayer lives is the way we view ourselves. If we change the way we view God, if we can see God as a good father, and if we can see ourselves as people that are not completely independent, but actually people that need God, it will help us flourish. So there's three things I want you to do this week. Three things I want you to do. The first thing I want you to do is I want you to fight for solitude. I want you to fight for solitude. Now, basically what that means is this. Every single company is scheming right now on how to get your attention. Whether it's your phone, whether it's your your Android or your iPhone or marketers, or every single uh, company is marketing. They're spending billions of dollars to get your attention. You want to know why commercials are louder than the actual TV show? It's because they fight to get your attention. And if it's the same volume all the way through, they're scared that you're not going to pay attention to it. 
everybody is fighting for your attention, so know what? You're going to have to fight for solitude. Years and years ago, it was very easy for people to be alone, but now with Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and Vine and all these different things and our emails and our phones going off nonstop, it's very difficult for us to be alone. And a lot of us get the nervous shakes just thinking like, wait, so I'm going to leave my phone in the other room and be away from my phone? What's going to happen in that five minutes? The world is not going to crash. I promise you that. I would, I would, the first thing you had to do is to fight for solitude. Fight for 10 minutes. Set your alarm another 10 minutes early. Go to bed 10 minutes a little earlier tonight and fight for solitude. Fight for 10 minutes of your day where you're not distracted by your phone, where you're uh, by yourself, where you are completely alone. Time to center yourself before you go out in your day. The second thing is to start praying exactly where you are, right? Uh, most of us feel uh, kind of like the guy, the comedian in the video that was, uh, you know, didn't know what to say when he, was, when he was praying. And a lot of us could probably resonate with that. It's funny because we know exactly how that feels. Start exactly where you are. Kids learn how to talk by talking. And we learn how to pray by praying, even through some really uh, uncomfortable moments. I remember when my niece was about three years old, uh, let's just say she had a very interesting way of pronouncing the word truck. <laughs> and in all of that discomfort of her saying that word, uh, she had to push through it. She had to learn how to talk by talking. And now if she says it, she knows exactly what she's saying. She's, she's smart enough to figure it out. Start where you are. Don't, 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 you know, need, don't pretend, don't feel the need to be an expert. Don't feel the need to, to impress people, to dazzle the world with prayer. Start exactly where you are. Even if your prayer is, God, I don't know how to pray, help me out. Even if it's going through the Lord's Prayer this week, line by line, saying a line, stopping and meditating on each line, that is a perfect place for you to start. The third thing I would love for you to do is uh, consider praying the Psalms. Now, the Psalms in the Bible are the Bible's basically book on prayer. And it's a, a ton of prayers, over 100, that, you know, not everyone is going to resonate with you deeply. But um, in, a, in a lot of ways, we learn how to pray uh, by being immersed in the prayer language and then speaking those words back. And if you're a new Christian, if we spend a couple minutes a day reading through the Psalms and speaking them back, we'll learn how to pray. So if you fight for your solitude, and if you were to start exactly where you are, and to start reading through the Psalms, tomorrow morning, turn to Psalm 1 and read it and speak it back. Wrestle with it. Let, it. let it touch your life a little bit. Uh, and this is the way that we'll start to get on this journey toward a satisfying prayer life. Now, what would it look like if instead of our hurried day, instead of, instead of our fast-paced New York uh, communication, that we stopped and we centered ourselves every single morning, gave ourselves five, ten minutes, and it doesn't have to be ten, it doesn't have to be five, it could be three minutes. But if we do, were to just stop and center ourselves around the fact that we have a good God who is a good father to us, and he just wants to, he wants to hear from you. He wants to wrestle through life with you. He doesn't want to just answer all your problems tomorrow. He wants to walk with life. He wants to walk through life with you. I know exactly what it would look like in our lives. We would flourish. Now, I'm going to do something for a second. Uh, I want us, we can't close a, mar a message on prayer without praying, right? So this is a great opportunity for us. We're going to do something that's really, really awkward. We're going to be silent for 30 seconds. We're just going to be silent, and we're going we're gonna to center ourselves. If there's anything in the message that stuck out to you, great, think about that. It could be just saying five, five words. It could be just saying that, God, you are a good father. It could be anything. Just for 30 seconds, we're going to silence ourselves in prayer.
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, give us, give us today our daily bread. Forgive us of our, of our debts, God, as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, God, and deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, power, and glory forever and ever. Amen.